Right. So I usually record these when I'm uh, kind of in the height of a run. Um, I've got lots of energy and everything's clicking in into place. But I'm trying a different different thing today. I'm feeling miserable, even though I've been doing an all day home mindfulness retreat, meditation retreat. Uh, it was a good one I was doing it. But I finished my day on a really shit tone, being asked to do minutiae on reports that you know, I've done the research. It's not my problem that decision makers don't read the fucking thing. It's not because of the template. <laughs> um, but I think I have to live with that. I force people to listen to you even if you have the best research. Which is why the bullshit of the objective standing to the side researcher. It's very difficult to live by. It's great when you when you can play like that. At the end of the day. I wish truth was power. Uh, it should be. Yeah, I don't want to get myself out of jobs. It's just miserable sometimes. Uh, the best thing I've learned today is that, um, that misery can very quickly change. So you'll see by the end of this podcast, well, things will change, things will click into place. Everything that arises has a way to change. So you can be up and down. Um, Perfectly comfortable with that. Taking years to to get to this point, and the level of grit and maturity that come from being a grown-up that knows how to deal with pain. Uh, here, I like to cherish it. <laughs> I'm also going to try something different. Again, uh, in addition to that, I'll try to pause. Uh, when I run out of things to say, so I can see how I can get these to be longer. Because normally I'm expecting that everything's gonna be a stream of consciousness popping out of my head, but you know, it's a big ask. And I keep looking at the, <clears throat> the big podcasts that do three hours conversations. And I'm like, why can I not do that? It's like, come on, you're on your own, running there, there, and get in that conversation. My way of dealing with that would be pausing and recording again. As usual, if anyone's used to an edited podcast, there are problems. I record these too deal with ideas that otherwise just sit on the shelf. Some of them might be good. Some of them might, be, might not be. Uh, so, 
use this one to talk about the <coughs> conference on exhibition. I attended some of the ideas in developing around that. So, as a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society, uh, I went to the explore conference and I met all of the wilder animals than me. Oh my god. It's the first time I've been around scientists and people that are into dealing with the unknown and the uncertain that were like so much way ahead of me. So much more comfortable in being uncomfortable. Oh, it made me so motivated, you know, to just be surrounded by these people that have gone. Like one of the guys talked about how he's gone beyond the South Pole to get to a, a mountain that he wanted to climb, right? Like, in my imagination, the South Pole is the furthest away place, right? You have to go beyond that. He goes past the South Pole to go to a mountain to climb it. And he had to be reasoned with by scientists to, like, use the the time he's spending there to collect some samples and data because he was just like doing it for the fuck of it if he could ah oh. oh I'm probably gonna get really emotional because like even during that one the first time I was almost cried why did it cry a few times? I think people cried on stage there's a lot of geographers who love emotions it's not just me it's not just me theorizing about emotions and patients feelings and other types of rationality which is kind of the theme I've taken away from myself for what my postdoc study would be about. I will continue with uh, what uncertainty is about, how we deal with it. It doesn't need to, need to be a decision-making thing, right? The literature there is uh, full of defining problems so they can be solved by algorithms but there's going to be lots and lots of things forever that will not be reducible to that now i've got some notes from the conference about ideas that i'll analyze see which ones could work together and just go and do it. I'm not gonna go and pitch for funding and beg and whatever. I can't explain what I'm gonna do before I've done it. Try to do this. I've lived through this hell during the PhD where everybody's trying to just convince you that what you want to know is what they want to know. No. I'm gonna follow my scientific curiosity, right? It's gonna be science-based. I'm not gonna go away and be, well, I'm a chartered scientist. I know how this thing works. I know I don't need anyone to baptize me anymore. I'm so thankful for the people that have taught me, but I think part of the process is at one point you realize there's so much to be known that you do have the option of picking the one that's gonna drive you forward now. And, and that's not to say you're gonna be a biased researcher, because I know that's what people might think. No, the methods could be used, but there's so much to be known that why the hell wouldn't I be using the 
effort that I've put in to get to this stage to then be able to choose what I'm going to do that is going to be interesting enough to sustain my effort. I mean, my PhD has been a six-year project. I mean, it's five for now. I need to submit next year, six years. This, you know, continuation of my research program is going to be, I, I think the, the postdoc will be probably about a three-year project, given that I know what I'm doing, right? Well, how I'm approaching problems now. I've got some experience, so should be cut in half. And that's the, the way that, you know, I'm hoping learning can work for me. It can be much easier the next time around. It already is, to be honest. My life is bloody easy. It's just, you know, I try to make it difficult so I don't have uh, silly, silly suffering, right? If you're going to suffer, you might as well make it work. <laughs> right, right, right. So, enough notifications. I think I'm warming up. So, um, yeah, the first note that I've got was uh, that was stuff I was thinking about before the before I, I went to the conference actually. So the overarching theme seems to be yeah uncertainty, but it's how do we approach it? But there's something about the experience of science. So the experience of science is the phenomenology of science. You know, what does it feel like to be rational? Philosophical questions. With that kind of philosophical approach, you can you can tell you know my leanings. I've read in original many of the of the works of classical philosophers, but it does seem that the phenomenologists are my bunch because in the variety of of their views that get lumped together, even though they have little to do with each other sometimes. Uh, it's just the people that are like, still uh, fascinated with how we can go back away from thinking, overthinking, feeling, sensations, and back to experience itself and what is meant by intuition and the works of Husserl and how that can be intentionally guided something so you study an object but the process of focusing on an object can be studied in itself so I think that by studying science I can, scientists, I can get to the process, the real process of science a bit more and do justice uh, to the, the unintended parts of the, of the process that we brush to the side because they make us feel uncomfortable. The next generation of scientists shouldn't have to take years and years to figure out that the scientific methods are bloody great because they've got us here but most of the times the finding is when you keep trying the methods you keep comparing to the literature but the stuff that you're experiencing in your research does not fit and that's why it feels uncomfortable but this is the findings right this is what we're interested in so that was uh, also 
uh, making me think about um, the, the second note I had that was again before the conference. It was uh, there's definitely something there to be studied about uh, how scientists experience eureka moments. Um, you know, a typology of what, what it feels like from Archimedes to Mendeleev. You know, these things that appear fully formed. In my PhD, you know, I had a participant talk about um, how decisions came fully formed, some of them. And that was one of the most intuitive participants, definitely. She talked a lot about learning to trust her unorthodox views. Which she called it, and she gave the example of J.K. Rowling's story of how Harry Potter came fully formed with her. She didn't come up with the story. Fascinating. So, but, yeah, there is the feeling, but now I've got cheap uh, neuroscientific tools, right? I've got a Muse headband. Uh, I use it for meditation. It gives me a signal, uh, personal feedback. If I'm in a meditative state, obviously you calibrate because, or you want to you want to see is it a heightened state, lower calming state that, that is produced when a scientist has a eureka, you know? So you can do neurophenomenology on how um, the data correlates between the neuro neurofeedback. You know, it's like a, basically an EEG, a electroencephalogram that you can put on the head. But because it's portable, you could also work with a non-experimental setting, like fuck controlling the environment. Because the environment, if you look at my PhD, that's what I'm writing about. It's like a big part of rationality. So like, you make the right choice to the situation that you're in. So we're interested in the situations as well. So, are labs the best place for the Eureka moment? Um, when we look at the history of Eurekas, uh, hmm, you know, oftentimes it's, uh, you need to be distracted by something else so that the part of the problem that you're trying to solve calms down and moves on. That's why I think in some ways I've got a blessing in having attention to hyperactivity disorder. Or disorder, right? I, I easily go and think about other stuff that fascinates me. So, I've been plugging ADHD too much lately. I don't know what it's about. I need to stop saying it. It's just like a. It's out of context. Anyway, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not uh, beating myself over it, but it's just it's irrelevant some conversation, so I feel like I have to say it to excuse myself. Every time I say something bold, I go, oh, don't mind me, I just have ADHD. No, like, I stand by these. I think some of these ideas are decent enough. Um, oh, I'm already feeling better. Makes me feel like uh, I'm getting on a roll, just like uh, Bill Burr did in his rant against Philly. Uh, if no one's, if you haven't seen it, just Google that. You can find the full version. Like 12 minutes of hell on stage with uh, him getting upset for being booed by 
uh, the audience in Philadelphia and he just has enough of it and starts ripping to bits their city. The funny thing is re-watching this years later and now being interested in cities and places, so many of the people actually were laughing and enjoying that he was trashing, you know, their, their city. He was roasting the city. And we know from talking about places how when someone someone's allowed to uh, say negative things about the place, only they're a local. And that's a way of saying you're an insider if you're allowed to to trash it. I noticed over the years the more uh, I became British in my demeanor and everything, the less people have in their faces the look of uh, go back home if you don't like it when I say something about, you know, something not working in the UK. Yeah. So, if someone does a city roast before me in stand-up comedy, they would be ripping me off. I am putting the flag on yeah. this discovery. I think it could be a thing. Because I think nasty comedy should come back. Just there's someone needs to be the butt of the joke, right? So much easier and when you have uh, somebody. Right, I'm either running out of steam and I'm gonna have to pause or I'll see if the next note makes any sense. Right. Uh, Alright, yeah, so this next one is to try and turn the essay I'm writing into a postdoc. And uh, not even an essay for the going through the philosophy that I mentioned on previous recordings about um, whether we could teach AI to meditate and delineating it as the hard problem of AI, kind of in line with the hard problem of consciousness. Um, I guess the latest advance I have there that's interesting is that I've thought through why it, it bothers me that so many AI engineers are focused on that hard problem of AI because I feel like it's like a cross-disciplinary thing like they're doing the old-school mansplaining that engineers always have got two parents that are engineers they're all, they always think they can do everybody else's job better. So, you know, debates around consciousness for millennia. Hey, we're coming in here. Yo, we've got this new thing. We're gonna solve everything. We're totally not walking territory that people will be walking forever. And we're not gonna solve the real legal, ethical, and technical issues. No, 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 we're just gonna release it on people. We're not gonna because we're really interested in secretly spending our time doing philosophy well, fuck off that's why I'm upset I guess and I'm upset because when they do that it took me years to mature and to realize what was going on so I used to get fearful it, it, I'm not the only one I don't think I think people inside here are a bit afraid they're gonna get their jobs taken blah 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 this is just gonna happen the same way that it happens with corporations. It's like there's going to be an AI stashing your money offshore if you, you know, if you give it a separate legal status. That's the thing we need to worry about. The other problem still unsolvable because it's an open-ended question. And that's beautiful.
open-ended, you know, as to why there is such a thing as experience. It's beautiful. It's open to multiple interpretations. It's open to engaging with the current surroundings. And we bloody hell do it well to reproduce that into somebody. We would have to only engage with them as you know, teaching meditation because it's giving instructions about how you can do something with your body, how you can train your mind and regulate your emotions. And then by giving those instructions, you get something back and then you feed back and you iterate. So whether we'll be able to do that with a machine emotions for me. But this is the work in progress. Uh, that one is in December. I'm really trying to, you know, narrow down what the contribution is going to be there. And we'll see if it continues or if it's just me dealing with my own fears. Uh, right then. And I have two more that are before the conference. Uh, one was about going and you know, continuing down the path of finding different types of rationality. And what can we justify being rational? Uh, and finding out local uh, philosophies uh, in addition to your traditional philosophies and comparing the two some kind of oral traditions. But I'm not just thinking about or just, you know, Zen koans are a way of communicating so much. Yeah. Communicating about being. If anyone's not familiar with those, I'm not even sorry. I just listen to some meditations when a guy says, you know, sound of one clapping hand, and I go, wait, what? And then straight away it feels great because it twists your small mind problem solving, you know, what we call axiomatic rationality, which is making how your stereotypical uncle that smells of cologne that is a skeptic, that kind of vibe into a twist and then you can be someone into your full being you're cool so these kind of things but obviously then actually going in situ to study them you know because geography is just fun and then that made me think just before the conference because i did see there will be opportunities to pitch something i was like Oof. if i have to Doing something on the spot, what would I do? And I was um, working on my PhD in the Royal Geographic Society. I was sitting out the building so home in the spa. It feels like home. The first time I felt at home in London, I always feel like a tourist. But this time, because I had a hub, at a, a field study center there, I feel at home. So I was doing. Um, something for the PhD that 
not required, but I'm trying to listen to this podcast called uh, History of Philosophy with No Gaps by some professor in America. And using stuff from that and just basic Wikipedia. But to know but to to see what all the philosophers' essentials are generally about very quickly. And then trace which of the lineages as they pass and you know, down to the ideas I'm quoting kind of to link it and I'm representing that on a cool board where at the bottom I have turtles all the way down uh, or as my wife said that was pretty cool she heard somewhere there's people all the way down so yeah I'm trying to see who are the people before me respect them they thought about but I also have been realizing that those um, people often get misinterpreted it feels, or they're just jumping off points, right? So let's argue that you could interpret them multiple ways, but still, there's originals of their writings that we have left, and like some pre-Socratics only, we only know about from the writings of uh, Plato. We actually don't know about Socrates, right? Plato wrote about Socrates. What if he's a fake guy? I mean, from the history of there, I just don't know. But going and studying the the original, the originals, and then mixing that with like a field study, talk to a local specialist about them, be there, be in the place where they came up with ideas. I think it's a, it's a fun project, and I definitely would want to do that travel in a meaningful way as well, so that I have the time to think. In a way, I'm not gonna run <laughs> too far, probably. Yeah. Because I also don't want to just go to ancient Greece, which, you know, some of the pre-Socratics in Turkey, right? Not to, you know, throw shade, but what? we know what ancient Greece was. It's, I know the neighboring countries got <laughs> some Bulgarian, right? We always throw some shade each other. Jesus, I'm going to get myself out of work in today's podcast. Uh, so that was uh, an idea that felt really good. And I, mean, I love that some of the explorers, I mean, I don't know who it was, but they said uh, at the conference, it just feels right in your belly and you get impatient to want to do it. Just go for it. So that's a cool way of thinking about it. Um, I did think about whether we can use ultra runners just the way that Climber uh, was being asked to get data if we could organize ultra runners that instead of following one path they're about exploring an area and doing citizen science tasks you know just like count the rabbits so obviously a bad example but you know something like that uh, focusing on exploration itself because heuristics you know, comes from exploring so the internal exploration decision making and then the exploration itself I think that was an interesting theme um, had an idea about going to usability test smart cities get people and um, you know that's kind of my digital aspect not so 
interesting. Shopping notes I've got. I did most of the workshops. Yeah, I actually didn't know that you can basically wherever you go, there will be a field study center. Like, that was my key takeaway. I'm not gonna be on my own doing this. So, wherever I go, I know there will be. Those people come back to sell them. That was so good. Yeah, there's lots of discussion about, you know, how powerful stories are, but I, th I feel like that's something I tripped on 2016. And I got really upset when it became part of the, the zeitgeist that, like, oh, stories are so powerful. Stories, this, or maybe we're just stories. And I remember in the, the cartoon, the box trolls, <laughs> uh, but, like, they go meta after the cartoon and, the authors just talk about like, oh, you know, this is just a story and they show the, the artist drawing and then they're like, oh, maybe we're just a story and then they get taken off the page and I was just like, well, that's just some fucking bullshit. Because, you know, being is more than storytelling. Right? But also, I think role models speak well. So many people that are quiet people and demonstrate, you know, then you'd be twisting the linguistics if you just say that's a story as well. You know, like that's, you know, going and climbing a mountain, that's not a story, that's climbing a mountain. The guy climbed, yes, he told me about it, but it's the climb that I respect, not him telling a story. He was the worst out of the group on the panel telling a story. He didn't even do it because of that. As he said, he was doing it for the shits and giggles. Yeah. So, studying philosophers as role models was something that I found inspiring for myself, but then modern ones, you know. Because I think I didn't realize how difficult it would be to identify with scientists when I was, you know to be a scientist because a lot of them just don't want to be role models, you know, they're more comfortable to just look at their data and that's fine actually, you know. I struggle with confidence sometimes. I don't want to be always in the spotlight. But role modeling things is easier to remember. And I actually think that's an ADHD thing. That's relevant to mention. Rather than giving me rules that I can't follow, seeing someone and learning from them as a craftsman, that's so much easier. And then the final one that did come to me after the conference was that, too. Look at the COP. Just, just even think about it. It's yet another acronym most people don't know about. It's just... I don't know what's happened. I think climate change has become something else. Every time I look, 
I'm convinced I don't understand it, but I know I do. It's pollution. Right? I see pollution around me. And then, sometimes I think they abstract so much, they forget what we're dealing with, but this is not to take anybody's work down, but I think there's definitely a job to see what it's like in different places where policymakers are having to make those decisions under uncertainty and track. What the hell are we tracking? You know, people imagine there is a a perfect measurement, but you know, the CO2 measurements are decent enough. I'm not saying, I'm not being a skeptic to the data, but it's just, it's still like uh, so many factors coming in there. But it's very risky to come into that where there is already so many specialists. Um, I'm, I was more thinking about just the the obvious that you know they have to travel to COP, which is a bit sometimes not that green, but then we can justify it. But I know the news is always take stab at that, and that was something we talked about at the expedition conference. You know, how can you do a B Corp certification or something for your expedition just so that you can do the minimum standard of you know this is the best we can do? So that we will be on this idea that there won't be any emissions, any impact. But we obviously have to accept that the rule of thumb is that if you can train local people to do your research, local, you know, neither should go, that's obvious. But, or you go in a carbon neutral way, well, not neutral, carbon neutral entirely, but. You know, but if you have to be there to get the data as an expert, you go. So, or you have to do the speeches and all that stuff. Some of the stuff just works better in play and he didn't sit here. Yeah, this is where I've got up to, so I'll thematically organize these just to see what would work together, which ideas are dog shit ideas, and they'll go to the dog shit pile. Yeah, I actually don't have a dog shit pop on my Trello board where I keep my ideas. It's just called an ideas catalog and then multiple other projects that I will never finish. But having them is a way of learning. I think people underestimate how prototyping works. Uh, it's orthogonal for me. What I mean by that is that Da Vinci, they say he's got so many unfinished things, but then I think they, they just didn't realize he was just practiced in some of the stuff. And if he didn't finish it to get the kudos for them, there isn't his masterpieces without the practice. And that's how this shitty podcast came into being. It's just Otherwise, I'd be afraid sharing my ideas. I would get very dear about shit ideas. But when you speak them, when you formalize them in some way, you keep yourself accountable to the good ones, and you let the bad ones die on their ass as soon as you say them, because you know they're shit. <laughs>